All right, we are back. Let's talk about miscellaneous stuff. We talked a couple weeks ago about uh, a cache of materials found out in my garage. I think we'll dip into that for some fun. Here's an item we pulled from the Opinions You Should Have website, whose proprietor is Tom Burke, who we had Tom on the show several times. This is from October 14, 2003. Congress to pass law allowing corporations to hold public office. Coca-Cola to run for president. Noted Tom, the Republican-controlled Congress unable to think of new tax breaks to give to major corporations. It's on its way to giving corporations the right to hold elective office. Coca-Cola is set to file papers establishing an election committee as early as next Tuesday, said Brad Esterfeldt, an advertising consultant. Coke is a natural for the presidency. Everyone loves Coke. It has an excellent record for both domestic and foreign markets. It's a uniter, not a divider. Ha ah, we laugh now, but since Tom wrote that eight years ago, the Supreme Court of the United States decided that, yes, as you will recall, in the Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission case last year, the Supreme Court, by a narrow five-to-four decision in favor of Citizens United, held that corporate funding of independent political broadcasts and candidate elections cannot be limited because of the First Amendment. So in this correspondence view, it's kind of hard to... Laugh quite as hard at the idea of Coke running for president as it was in 03. This does, however, send me back to the Opinions You Could Have website to see what Tom's done lately. There's a couple here I like. How about this one? AT&T and T-Mobile to create nation's largest non-functioning cell network. According to a spokesperson, AT&T and T-Mobile today announced plans to merge in order to increase their reach and value. Explained Shirley Dickinson of AT&T, now we can fail to provide service to twice as many customers as before. Dickinson's additional comments were unclear due to poor sound quality. Callbacks to Dickinson for clarification were repeatedly dropped. In person, Dickinson later told reporters that the merger would result in even more bars in more places. The listeners could not be sure she was not talking about prisons or nightclubs based on their own experiences with the company. And we have to like this one from last, uh, last year's election season. According to opinions you should have, in last-ditch effort to control House, Democrats pledged to block their own agenda. And by the way, our thanks to Jason for drawing our attention to the article uh, from the LA Times, noting that scientists have now detected strong signs of water on Mars. Of course, Radio Parallax listeners know we've been pointing out the fact there appears to be plenty of evidence for plenty of water on the planet Mars for years now. But uh, this is good news. This uh, new evidence is another line pointing toward uh, the fact that there is probably quite a lot of water on the Martian surface. NASA released uh, some photos from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which is currently circling the red planet, and uh, picked up photos of some Remarkable lines on the planet's slopes that grow more prominent during the warm season. They proliferate from late Martian spring into early Martian fall, suggesting they were made by volatile chemicals that can boil at relatively low temperatures, such as water and carbon dioxide. Apparently, University of Arizona undergraduate student, and like that undergraduate student, Lujendra Oja, first noted the seasonal changes after comparing two images of the same location at different points of time. And we hope that we'll be speaking in the next couple of weeks with Professor Don Sumner, geoscientist here from UCD, who was involved in the decision of where to put down the next Martian rover. 
which as it turns out is going to be the Gale crater on Mars, which apparently has some clay layers. And clay, of course, is associated with water. And although we noted with sadness the passing of the Spirit rover, which is now uh, had a memorial service held for it at JPL, the Opportunity rover is still going strong and has just come upon the edge of the Endeavor crater. That little vehicle has been working for three years to get to that crater. It's now traveled over 13 and a half miles across the Martian surface and is hoping to do some interesting science on the layers in uh, that uh, scalloped out area on the surface, um, which is the crater. And speaking of planetary surfaces, and how's that for a segue? I was intrigued by the article in New Scientist, July 30th of this year, about Earth's magmatic time bombs. Magmatic, of course, referring to the Earth's magma, the lava beneath the the Earth's uh, surface that boils up now and again. They've taken a look at these large areas of it on the Earth's surface and concluded that uh, phenomenon known as large igneous provinces, in other words, areas of huge, gigantic lava flows, seem to coincide with mass extinctions on the Earth. The latest theory is that these hot blobs are deep down uh, in the Earth, uh, dating back to the creation of the planet, and that occasionally uh, they will bubble their way up to the surface, cause a massive uh, eruption of lava, which changes the Earth's climate and uh, wipes out a lot of species that are present. It's believed that the Siberian Traps eruption of 251 million years ago caused the extinction that led to the dinosaurs. Of course, although we think an asteroid took out the dinosaurs 65 million years ago, it may have been helped by the Deccan Traps, an almost simultaneous eruption that took place on the Indian subcontinent. We're talking about a lot of hot rock here, enough to cover the uh, whole surface of the U.S., like, you know, thousands of feet deep. And uh, further research is showing that um, other lava flows seem to coincide with mass extinctions. More research is needed. And I got to say, I was down in Santa Cruz, lovely Santa Cruz, a couple days ago, which we need to go down there and talk to some of their astrophysicists, such as Martin Jutze and Eric Osfog, who recently published a piece in Nature magazine about our companion in space, the moon. The Russian and American scientists who first sent probes around to look at the other side of the moon back in the 50s and 60s were shocked to discover that there are no large seas or dark areas as we see on our familiar man in the moon. And by the way, news items recently uh, reported on this talking about the dark side of the moon. Well, folks, there is no dark side of the moon. I mean, there does exist a good Pink Floyd album with that name. Whether you're standing on the near side or far side of the moon, you'll see the sun go through, you know, rising and setting just as it would any place else. Now, the far side of the moon would be the dark side during a full moon because the near side would be lit up, so the far side would be dark. But there really is no such thing. But these scientists got together with a computer simulation trying to figure out how it is that the far side is so rocky and... The Economist magazine quoted Bill Anders, one of the Apollo 8 astronauts, noting that when he got a look at it directly, he said, it looked like a sand pile my kids have been playing in. It was all beat up. No definition, just a lot of bumps and holes. Well, we now think the moon was formed by a collision with a, of our proto-planet Earth with a Mars-sized body that blew a bunch of junk off into space and coalesced. 
Latest simulation indicates that it may have blown off into two moons, which in a low-speed collision coalesced into one another. And in doing so, and splatting a bunch of stuff on the far side, it got the appearance that it has today. And interestingly, there, and curiously, there is, uh, there is some evidence for this. With samples taken from the various lunar missions, we know that uh, the age of the lunar surface differs by up to 200 million years from different, from different places. And uh, maybe more, because it turns out that the rocks we brought back seem to have been from uh, a similar, similar strata, I guess you'd say. So if the moon formed and a couple hundred million years later the other smaller moon crashed into it, well, that would explain it. You know, with the launch of more probes out to Mars and the current launch of the Juno mission out to Jupiter, we're soon going to have uh, robots orbiting all of the planets. Well, except for the outer two. All the planets known to the ancients, shall we say. Which is going to turn into some pretty cool radio, we think. Let us finish off with some goofy stuff. You know, that, that may mark the first use of the word goofy on this show piece from Mental Floss a few months ago noted that there were 10 alternate names for Snow White's dwarves. They reported that writers at Disney apparently went through dozens of names before settling on the seven of what got to be Snow White's entourage. Among those who almost but did not quite make the cut were Jumpy, who was described as a goosey type who talks fast and mixes up his words. There was Awful, Described as a lovable rascal who steals, drinks, and is covered in dirt. There was Baldy, who was described as being bashful with floppy ears, who giggles and twists buttons and gets red in the face. And of course, in the end, Baldy became dopey. Apparently also not making the cut, but sadly without descriptions, were Burpy, Tubby, Hickey, and Gabby. And in case you're wondering, not even on the list was a Goofy. Mr. McMillan suggests they might have tried Tweaky, really skinny, no teeth, up all night, comma, but very productive. All right, we're just about out of time. On next week's show or the week after, we'll talk about the fact that someone actually is in favor for the Sacramento Bee of giving California's electoral votes to the popular vote winner. And no, that wasn't an editorial comment by Dopey. And doggone it, we're just running out of time so fast. Uh, Bill Maher's coming to town next week. We're going to see what we can to get him on the show. The Sacramento News and Review did get a hold of Bill Maher. We refer you to uh, uh, their publication for more on that. Article by Nick Miller. My eye was caught by the piece uh, in the letters to the editor part by Travis McGee, talking about how we need to ban plastic bags. He makes a good case for that. Travis does. But... Holy mackerel, check out the article in the current edition of Rolling Stone about what happens when local jurisdictions try to ban plastic bags. We'll talk about this on next week's show, I hope, but to make a long story short, leading the charge to protect the plastic bag is the American Chemical Council, an industry group whose members include giants like ExxonMobil and Dow Chemical. They got 125 employees and more than $120 million in annual revenues. When Seattle put a 20-cent fee on plastic bags in 2008, the ACC spent $180,000 to gather signatures to put the issue on the ballot, put another $1.4 million to overturn it, and succeeded. We'll talk about that and the initiative process itself, which is quite a controversial matter here in uh, California's capital, in the weeks to come. 
And, of course, before I go, I should mention that all of the opinions heard on this program, whether it's about Soviet submarines or Delta Smelt, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. In spite of the fact that an independent survey conducted by the RAND Corporation revealed that the opinions heard on this program are correct 98.2% of the time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to Petty Officer McMurphy, who hopefully will be back to round out our discussion today in the months to come. You have been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. Someone in my head, but it's not me.